and welcome to the Real Life Sports Show. This podcast is for sports fans, whether you're playing it, interested in it, or looking to learn from high achievers. My name is Sam Adams. I'm known as the Real Life Coach. I'm a business owner and a life coach, and I work with sports professionals, athletes, coaches, and people in and around the industry. I help those people live more expansively, more authentically, so that they can enhance their performance, whether that's playing their game or living their real life. My background is in business. I've been in business for over 20 years in property. I've mentored and coached in that industry, and that led me into being a life coach. I'm super passionate about sports, and that's what led me to working in that industry and creating this podcast. In this podcast, I'm going to be talking to some amazing human beings, some elite athletes and people from that industry. We're going to be talking about the glory, the glamour, the achievements and the medals, but we're also going to go to the real life bit, behind the scenes, what it really takes to excel. We're going to talk about the guts, the determination, the grit and the grime. For you, the listener, you're going to get some great takeaways and insight, whether you're looking to achieve for yourself around your mindset or your personal development. This is the podcast for you. So if you enjoy the podcast, I'd love for you to leave me a five-star review and any comments you have. So here we go, the Real Life Sports Show. So welcome, everybody. Yes, you are in the Real Life Show. You're listening to the Real Life Show with me, Sam Adams. And today I've got another awesome guest for you. Just set aside 30 minutes of your time, get a cuppa um, and enjoy this interesting conversation that I know that I'm about to have. The, the amazing, and this man I met on Clubhouse very recently, I love his style, I love his strategy, and I thought he would be super awesome for this podcast. So please welcome Andrew Silito. <laughs> Hello, Sam. Thank you so much for inviting me on your amazing podcast. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. No, it's awesome. Awesome to have you on here. Once I, I started, obviously we met, our paths crossed on Clubhouse, um, this latest uh, audio drop-in app that we're all spending hours of our time on. Yeah. Um, and I kind of, I think we, you know, you resonated with me just reading your bio, but then listening to some of your insight and value that you had been offering in Clubhouse, um, oh, it just drew me to you and thought, oh, now I need to get this guy on, on my podcast because I think you know, your messages, you know, your method, your strategy and, and the value that you bring, I think more people just kind of need to hear it. So I'm right. hoping that those kind of people are now listening to this um, and Let's will enjoy our it. conversation. So why don't you tell me rather than me explain who is Andrew Silito? Okay, so I am a business psychologist and I predominantly work with business owners, done a lot of corporate work as well in leadership and uh, mainly work with business owners who are looking to reset their life, if you like. They've been mm -hmm. all in in their career and now they know they've got a, a 10 or 15 year plan, uh, but they want to do it without um, wrecking their health, wrecking their marriage, yeah. uh, wrecking their mindset. Uh, and so that's when I talk about the four keys. I wrote a book called The Four Keys. So it's really about managing balance between business, body, relationships and mindset and making sure that we're keeping that in sync each day. I'm a former international athlete and mm. coach. So I, my background is playing roller hockey. So I grew up playing roller hockey. I, I live in the Southeast of England, but I, I street hockey was big in the eighties. So <laughs> caught that and the roller disco. And I was just really lucky, you know, that I just caught a wave with that. And uh, as a sport developed in the nineties, uh, 
we all switched to rollerblades and the sport yeah. went pro in America. So I, I kind of set my sights on that and I became the first British uh, player to play professionally in the US. That was in 98, 99. What? And, and then when I returned from, the, from Canada, I, I started playing um, ice hockey here. And then also, so I played semi-professionally at ice hockey here in the UK. Mm. I now live in Prague, so I get to play all the time <laughs> open because they have so much hockey here. Uh, and then I, I played in 11 World Championships with a British team, inline hockey or roll hockey, whatever you want to call it. Mm. And, and then in 2010, became the head coach. And that, mm. was, that put me on a whole different trajectory into leadership and really learning about how to create a high-performance culture. I kind of knew about it because I was working in that field. I was already working in corporate, doing leadership work. Um, but when I work with the, when you're in that locker room, it's a, it's a completely different dynamic mm. uh, to working, even with at board level, there are some similarities. Yeah, there are. There yeah. Are certainly high expectations when you walk in that locker room for the first time as a head coach, particularly as Team GB were, were struggling. You know, we'd, we'd lost to Australia the year before. We were nearly relegated from Pool B. I had an ambition to get us into the top eight countries in the world. The players thought I was crazy. Um, but uh, the long and short of it was, and I, I wrote about this in, in, in one of my books, is that we, we went on to achieve just an incredible uh, results. Uh, we yeah. went up to the top eight countries in the world for the first time. We beat Finland, who we, we'd watched in the final, you know, as fans, you know, and then we were out there playing against Finland for the first time and, and beat them. We tied with the Czechs, who were the world champions at the time. I mean, it was just an extraordinary experience. Mm. So, uh, so now those worlds have sort of come together where I teach leadership, teacher principles that I shared with what we built with, with Team GB. Mm. And, um, <clears throat> and also uh, because of my, I guess my purpose around well-being, those kind of worlds have come together as well. So I'm very passionate about helping business owners think about the well-being. And that's mainly because when I was 16, you know, my father, had, well, he'd made a lot of money, good, good business owner, but in the 1990 crash, he lost it all. Mm. And then three years later, uh, died of a sudden heart attack, age 48. Wow. So that's always been on my mind, you know, so, and, and also seeing that similar trajectory in other business owners. Yeah. And ironically, experiencing it myself, coming home one day and my wife turning to me and said, I didn't sign up for this. And at that time, I, I was the head coach of Team GB with a gold medal around my neck. I'd written wow. a book. I was traveling the world, delivering these leadership programs. And yeah, my wife said, no, that, that's, not, that's not what we agreed um, we need to rein this in a bit. And, and actually, you know, that was kind of a, a bit of a really blindsided me because, and also my health was just deteriorating. Mm. Um, I was uh, suffering with gout and okay. uh, my, yeah. my family joke that it's the only thing my dad left me. Because, <laughs> uh, I seem to have inherited. My dad was really tough. You know, he didn't complain about anything. And we laughed at him when he had gout yeah. because it's the only time he complained. He would be crawling along the floor. It's so painful, apparently. And, yeah. You know, uh, and and then yeah, I ended up inheriting it. They say, and so I, I was really checking in with all of that. So that all came together, and that's why I wrote the book, The Four Keys. Started sharing it with with other people. So, in a long long winded way, I my my sports background, working with elite athletes trying to build my own business, scale my own business, seeing this challenge that, you know, I saw it in business owners where they were struggling to balance their life and then kind of turning the mirror on myself and going, actually, I, this is not easy. You know, regardless of what business you, if you've got kids at home, you're trying to do, you know, balance your health, 
so that's become my focus now, you know, bringing all that together and really mm. helping business owners scale and, and to try and do that without burning themselves out. Yeah. Wow. Wow. What a, a potted history. <laughs> some, yeah, it is potted. Real, yeah. Some real highs and, uh, and the gouts are probably a low. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, but about it. yeah, incredible story. I mean, I want to talk a little bit about the hockey because that, you know, like that is unusual. It's incredible being the first British player as well and to go across to Canada. What what was that? Were you naturally sporty as a kid anyway? Was it or? No, I wasn't. In fact, my father-in-law, who was uh, Jock, the only Scotsman in Tunbridge Wells, of course, <laughs> and um, he, he kind of took me under his wing when my father died. They were really good friends. Mm. And Jock had a gym in his garage and we always knew Jock trained a lot and his two sons they're into judo but when I used to go around there as a child and and they 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 kind of I think they just sort of gave up I wasn't I just wasn't that athletic you mm. know I wasn't naturally athletic when I compare myself to some of the other lads and probably because I was just a late developer more than mm. anything um, but when my father died I I started taking my training more seriously and and Jock was really helpful in helping me understand specific training. So we started looking at hockey mm. and saying, well, what, what are some of the things we need to be focusing on? So, you know, back then we were doing CrossFit style training. I mean, he unfortunately he passed away as well, but before the kind of CrossFit scene, but we always joke, you know, and say that he would have loved the CrossFit scene because he had us doing that kind of work in, in the gym. It was all very much a lot of movement, a lot of leg work, a lot of sprints, you know, carrying each other up hills and all these kind of things. Mm but very focused on hockey. And within about a year, I, I, I was playing in Germany uh, for my it's like a club tournament. And someone was watching that from the UK and spotted me and then asked me, invited me to play on a team called London All-Stars, which mm. is a, an all paid trip to Florida. I mean, oh, cool. you know, it was never, it was just a, like a fantasy in some ways yeah. you know, to do yeah. that. And it was like all paid for. I mean, even took us to wet and wild. We did everything in Florida. I mean, it was an amazing <laughs> trip. But I, I put that down to the, and I was the youngest by quite a long way. A lot of the guys were in their early 20s, mid 20s. And at that time I was 17. So I recognized that I was starting to develop as an athlete. And also I was starting to come of age. But Jock always has said to me, you know, you've, you've trained yourself to be an athlete. And it was kind of a polite way of saying, you were not an athlete as a kid. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, I loved football. I was, I, I was skillful at sports. I, you know, in hockey, I, you know, I'm known for my hands and I think, you know, soft hands with the, with the puck and, mm. and my skating and, but I had to work so hard at it. Um, but I think, yeah, over time, I just found my way combining my skill with, with physical ability um, and then when I moved to Canada, I moved to Canada when I was 21. And then I, that opened my whole world up because they, they, we just didn't have gyms like that in the UK. You know, these big, huge gyms, a uh, lot of emphasis on nutrition, which was predominantly chicken and rice, which was revolutionary <laughs> at the time. Um, you know, but it, it was I was training every day. I had people working with me. There were other you know, players on Team Canada that were training. And I was really just immersed myself in that. And when I came back to the UK, people were like, Silito's been on steroids. Because look <laughs> at the size of him. Because he, right. you know, I was really, I'd really gained some size. But I think it was, it was just a 
go when you go from 19 to 21 22 you do yeah you know, naturally yeah, yeah you sort of fill out and with the training and the diet and everything um so when i came back i really had kind of positioned myself as a as a as a well-known player in my, in our micro niche sport if you like yeah. um yeah. and uh, and then that's then i started going back to canada and Cal- i was playing a lot in california just having a wild time and then i but also my entrepreneurial spirit was kind of blossoming because i was built i was running summer camps for kids so i was coaching i'd set mm. up a coaching business and we were running these summer camps residential summer camps for kids to come and join us and bring in coaches from the us and spain and and again i mean even that was just fueling my hockey career really because even though i, I say i played professionally which is true the sport wasn't big enough to pay me pay my bills if you know what i mean no, so sure. Um, I would get sponsors. Um, although my claim to fame is I, I was the first uh, Nike athlete in roller hockey as well. Oh, really? Nike, really? Yeah, Nike started making equipment. Oh, okay. And I must have been quite into my PR then as well, because I, I put this, I've still got it at home, but a book yeah. of my accolades. And I'd sent it to Newcastle saying, I hear you're creating hockey stuff. Hmm. And they responded straight away said yeah we are creating hockey stuff and we are looking for athletes right. and uh, they they paid for me to go up to newcastle to see them and so that that was uh that was interesting times you know kind of being in that corporate world with sports and yeah um yeah i was uh, i mean i i, I was <laughs> i'd be walking around town like head to toe and, and <laughs> i just couldn't get enough of the stuff on me you know like <laughs> i was so proud of it yeah, why not? To be fair, I would have been as well. I, yeah, would have been, I, been I just big puffer jacket, and, <laughs> you know, shoes, glasses, you know, everything. Um, the gear. Yeah. So I, to answer your question, was I a natural athlete? Definitely not. I had to work really hard at it. Yeah. Uh, and although some things I have learned about sports is, and training, that less is more, you mm. know, because I'm 45 this year. I would say I'm probably leaner. I feel better. I, um, I'm playing, I'm still playing hockey competitively and playing in a good league here in the, in the Czech Republic. Amazing. It's, it's amateur, but it, you know, when you say amateur here, you, you've got guys that decided not to pursue the career right. and they play So it's a good level of hockey yeah. and some ex NHL players. Um, and it amazes me, you know, that managing inflammation in the body and through diet. Yeah. One was because of my, you know, trying to understand gout and, and what, what it is. Yeah. And, and also um, just recognizing that we don't have to kill ourselves in the gym to, to be healthy. And actually we can do quite little subtle things, you know, to stay fit, healthy and strong. Yeah. I'm a huge fan of the kettlebell. I wish I'd been as passionate about the kettlebell in my <laughs> early 20s, but it was all about bench press and yeah. deadlifts you know um, do you not think these things go through cycles those you know and and you know what's maybe what's the end thing then is you know maybe that will come back around again quite trendy yeah yeah at the, the moment trends, covid as well that that got a lot of people into the kettlebell but, mm. but i noticed that i can do a lot with a, a lighter weight mm. and, and and it's my mobility is better uh, I, f- I don't feel as in pain, you know, like leg days, you know, that kind of <laughs> thing. You Dead know, legs, like, yeah. My child was a, 
you know, changing nappies and saying, <laughs> lid day today, I don't know, I can get down that, like, you know, which is crazy, right? I mean, it's just, it's silliness. But um, so anyway, yeah, uh, less is more. And I've learned a lot about training over the years. And and I feel like I feel better today than at 44 and I did at 24, if I'm honest. That's amazing. And it's, it doesn't surprise me in some ways because I've spoken to a few athletes and sort of retired and gone on and, you know, Dame Kelly Holmes, for instance, she is like, yeah. I mean, she was fit back then, but honestly, she is super fit and she's 50. Yeah. She won't appreciate me telling everyone how old she is because she hates that. But anyway, yeah. she's like incredibly fit and lean yeah. now. In- and she's 50, yeah. 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 Um, who, there's another, oh, I can't think I was talking to now, but the same kind of scenario. Um, so it doesn't surprise me. Um, I think it's about really- experience as well, isn't there? Knowing your body. Yeah. as we develop and and we're going to see more and more athletes in late 30s early 40s because mm. they they know how to look after themselves and we've seen other people lead the way who are going to do well and i and i i almost i'm sure kelly would probably say you know she was brilliant and fit at the 800 meters um but not necessarily fit at other things you know yeah. that because you know the body is not always feeling great so we know we can do that that thing, really thing well yeah. But I think as we get older, we start to think, actually, there's other things I want to be able to do, whether mm. people want to choose to play golf or play five-a-side football or run a half marathon, to be able to do these kind of multiple of things, uh, be a bit more of a generalist as we get older. I think there's something about that. And yeah. um, that I think level of intuition. And when you're playing one particular sport, like for you, the hockey and Kelly, the you know, 800 metres or whatever, that's your laser focus really, isn't it? It's being the best you can be at that 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 sport that, that yeah. you know that that track and field event whatever it is whereas you know as you get you know a certain age it's your general health your mindset as well as your general well-being isn't it and you are right. more conscious about or hopefully um about everything you know and it does become about flexibility it does become you know as you get older sadly it just does and your bones and your joints and you know i yeah. think about all of those things um you know so i to- i totally get that but I, I, I'm, I do want to kind of ask you about, you know, to, to play at that level. Now, I know it wasn't like, you know, back then it's, you know, how, what's the first first question, the difference between the hockey now and what it was for you back then? How, how different are the worlds apart? So from a uh, like the level or, mm. yeah, I would say so when I was playing pro in the mm. tournaments, so we had these kind of pro series. The level was very high because mm. um, players were getting paid to come from ice hockey, like professional mm. ice hockey, and play roller hockey. Mm. So there was a lot more investment actually in the nineties. So we often say that the the level was incredibly high. So the fact that I got to play in that that genre, if you like that that kind of era, mm. I'm very grateful because I was, you know, I I, I talk about this with a uh, you might know Will Polston. I don't know. Yeah. Clubhouse, and he always asked me to share the story. You know where I, I talked about how I had a magazine of Victor Gervais, who was a Canadian player, on my wall, and um, I get goosebumps when I think about it. But in 2004, when I played in the professional division, I went down for the face-off. You know where they dropped the puck. Yeah. And I looked up, and I didn't know he was playing, but he was he was at the face-off, and I was like, oh my gosh, it's, it's Victor wow. Gervais. I had him on my wall for for years. You know. And at that time, I think he was probably 35 playing. Yeah. That team who came in and, and they were the kind of all the new era, the young guns coming in, that team won. They yeah. won the tournament. 
and they were all in their late sort of mid thirties uh, veterans really. Uh, so it kind of proved to me that the level then because of the investment that was being made in sport was very high. Mm. But now when you, I mean, you look at it now and the speed that these guys are skating at, mm. there is a, there is a significant increase in that level. The one, the equipment's got, you know, the technology in the wheels, mm. it's better so they can, you know, the similar to ice hockey in that way and the, the, the mm. traction on the, on the rinks. Yeah. And the shooting ability and because it's the equipment in the, the, the technology in the sticks. Yeah. Uh, when I was back then, it was wooden, maybe carbon sticks. Now that the technology is unbelievable. I mean, the stick literally does a lot of the work for you when you shoot because of right. the, the way it flexes and stuff like that. So without getting too technical, but the, 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 the way the puck travels and moves. And so that, that has definitely shifted uh, yeah. because of the technology. It does. Just same it. it is. Yeah. Tennis. I was talking to Jan the other day and we we're talking about tennis and the changes right. yeah, in yeah. tennis and you know, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's 20 years. It's such yeah, yeah. a long time. And, it's to aluminium, yeah. to, you know, carbon, you know, yeah. now, it's the same with track shoes, you know, you're looking at track shoes now that the athletes wear. You know, I, I was all about athletics when I grew up, but even, you know, even 10 years ago to now, you know, track shoes, you know, spikes, and that's massively different. Uh, and there's loads of contra- controversy around that at the moment as well. So, you know, the technology yeah. does change um, so quickly. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's interesting to know. Did you feel like, you know, around that time, because you know, this podcast is about what it takes to be an elite athlete. And also, you know, you obviously work with those kind of people's high achievers, you know, pro sports people, you know, all high achievers, mm-hmm. what it takes. Now for you, there wasn't necessarily the skill that that innate ability to be athletic, but you definitely had a lot of will and you were, you put a lot of grind in. Um, yeah. What are you, what are your thoughts around um mindset over that athletic ability where do the two meet crossover what yeah, do it's you a really good question i think there are certain sports that you can get away with being a late developer you know um mm. hockey's hockey's one of those i think where that you know if you look at conor mcdavid who's arguably the best player in the world very slim mm. you know very he's quick but you wouldn't have looked at him at 14 15 and said he's going to make the nhl you know the national mm. hockey league mm. i wonder with track and field whether it's a little bit different yeah because i think there is some there is an advantage for a 14 15 year old so ha- having said that you can have the you could be the most athletic person you know naturally gifted athletic you know physically but without the right mindset mm. then you're going to be at a disadvantage so uh, for me, it's all, it always comes back to 80% mindset, 10% skill, 10% uh, knowledge, experience, mm. because you can have all the knowledge and experience in the world or the skill, talent, but the mindset in the end is going to be the difference, I believe. Yeah, yeah no, I, I totally agree with you. That's sort of, that's where I come from. You know, I totally believe that. I, like, I always say you can have all the skill in the world, but if you've got no will, it's a waste right. of time. Absolutely. absolutely waste of time absolutely. so you know how, how do you because you you've got your methods about how you help high achievers and, and sports people tell us a little bit about that you know you've got your four keys and things like that tell us a little bit about mm. your work and how you help people yeah well i suppose if we focus on the mindset so the four keys is business body relationships mindset mm. and what i'm noticing is that we're still spending a lot more time on mindset whether it's a business owner mm. or an athlete and for me 
there are three parts to the mindset and that is clarity of purpose. Mm. And what I mean by that is the ability to serve something bigger than yourself. Yeah. And, and it's such an important thing for, for young athletes, uh, particularly in team sports is that they can often go into survival mode, but once they recognize that they're there to serve everybody in the dressing room and not themselves, they mm. get out of their own heads and they can uh, focus on helping the players around them improve. So that was one of our goals with Team GB is it's not about you. It's about how do you give more time on the puck? So that purpose, that clarity of purpose, what are we trying to achieve here together? Can I, just I picking think, up, sorry, yeah. just picking up on that point because it is a really valid point and it's, you know, um, I've worked with some footballers and I is really challenging for them, the pressure, because they go into this team and it's a team, right? Mm. But you've got two or three other people that are playing the same position of you and therefore it's a competition, it feels right. like. So what, what do you do? How do you, I mean, how did you do it with Team GB? Because surely there was other people that had the same yeah. role potentially. And some some that, players on the bench, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah. how did you create that? Because that is a really valid point. You know, you, yeah, you were there to to lift each other, to improve each other and to improve as a whole, but equally there's that competitiveness still yeah. going on within the team. Yeah. Well, they, I, I always say that creating high performance culture is a process. Mm. And the first step in that is deciding what is, what is the objective, you know, the vision. Yeah. And for us, that was quite obvious as it was for every team in that in pool B, which is win gold, get promoted into pool A, mm. you know? Okay. So every team's going to want to do that. But yeah, we, we looked at how do we look, act and feel like Paul A players, mm. you know, just more athletic, more, you know, focused, better training, all the things that they would have. How could we as an amateur team incorporate that into, into our world? And the purpose then became, well, what if we could inspire young British players that GB could mm. play in the top eight countries of the world? And then that became our drive. So it wasn't just about winning gold. It was about something much bigger than ourselves. Yeah. Reverse engineering it from the idea of looking, acting and feeling like a Paul, Paul A team. Mm. And then uh, what we started looking at were our values. So getting really clear on our values. And we were quite lucky at the time that we partnered with a, a company and they'd launched some values in their corporate, um, some corporate values and we adopted them. Yeah. And when I shared them with the players, there's always this funny situation because I'd been going on about, you know, one of the values was rapport, rapport, you know, got to be in rapport. Yeah. After about th th four weeks, one of the players plucked up the courage to say, what does rapport mean? You know, uh, it's one of, it's kind of like hockey players that address yeah, yeah. <laughs> one of those scenarios. But so we kind of say, well, what does it mean? Mm. You know, what does with these four words that we've got on our jerseys mean? So we started to really ask that question. What does it mean for us? Yeah. And we where above the line behaviors below the line behaviors because even in a dressing room you've got players who take banter too far yeah. and you've got players who are offended by that banter yeah and we really draw the line we had the north south divide all of that kind of stuff going on players who are just naturally more sensitive yeah and and being mindful of that so once we got really clear on our contract in the dressing room what, what the behaviors we like to see and what the behaviors we don't want to see hmm. We created psychological safety because everybody felt safe that it wasn't going to go too far. Mm. And, and my role as head coach then was to enforce that and hold yeah. that, hold it some accountability around that. So that was a big change for us because 
you could see then the players were feeling safer. The other thing that I embraced, which took me a bit of time, was the ask, don't tell. Mm. Now, never been in Austria before, never played in Paul A. How do we do this? You know, and getting the players to really come forward with the tactics and the ideas. Right, try it, test it, let's see it. And what I learned is that, you know, it's that adage of tell me and I forget, show me and I remember, involve me and I understand. If you really want your players to execute the tactics, get them to, even if it's, it's not necessarily coming up with the ideas, yeah. but at least playing it back to you. So I know that you truly understand. Talk me through it. Help me understand yeah. what you're going to do. What's your intent? Rather than here's the board guys, go do it. You know, and yeah. that's when coaches lose their minds because they like, I've shown you five times. Yeah. Tell me and I forget, you know. So you always get a nod from the players, but you, you've really got to get them talking and breaking out and, and having their own little masterminds, you know, of, okay, we have a problem here with this tactic. I want you four to go over there, get the board out and work through, report back to me what you're going to do next. Yeah. They go away, they do it. Then we're trying to, you know, so they're constantly owning it. Um, yeah. And that was, I think, probably the biggest game changer. Um, so I think there's probably the biggest, the, the purpose, clarity of purpose, clarity of vision, psychological safety in the dressing mm. room and ownership of actions, you know, mm. and, and then accountability, me being ruthless on accountability, you know, yeah. not, not holding back on that because, Hey, we've agreed it. It's in black yeah. and white on this flip chart here. Yeah. And, which by the way, you guys came up with, not me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that was a big thing. Um, and then the other thing, I, what I see in athletes, top performers, it, yeah. Clarity of purpose, clarity of self, so my strengths, weaknesses, mm. motivations, mm. and then clarity under pressure. Yeah. Ability to, to manage thoughts, feelings, and emotions under pressure to, to make good decisions, you know, and develop it. So we did a lot of work around that, um, a lot of work around how to get into the zone. What, what are our triggers? What stops us from thinking clearly, not just on the rink, but in the dressing room, all these, you know, the environment, really thinking about the stimuli. Mm. And uh, the players really bought into that. They loved getting into the deeper psychology around that mm. and without getting too woo-woo with them. It was, as long as we kept it practical, they really enjoyed the, the science, the neuroscience, if you like, of, of all of that. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I don't know if that, that kind of helps, but for me, clarity of purpose, clarity of self, clarity of uh, under pressure. No, the, that's the amazing. Ingredients for me. No, and that's incredible. And, and what you did was incredible, you know, to, and everyone bought into it and, uh, yeah, that was an incredible journey. It really was, you know, and uh, you know that I still speak to the head coach at Czech Republic and he still says to me, you know, if only we could have some of that Britishness, you know, because people <laughs> do look to Brit Great Britain sometimes. And, really? <laughs> you know, for that effort, that work rate, that, in, you know, the, there's something there. Yeah. Whether it was just a sweep step, but he, he said to me, how did you do it? And that's when I walked away and thought, yeah, how did we do it? And then I reflected on everything we did. And then, then I wrote the book and that was um, kind of how it came about really from the Czech coach saying, how, did you, how are you here? When, when you became head coach, was it, did you have that, that in your head? This is my game plan. This is my clear plan method. Did it just, or did it just evolve? Yeah, it was and then... a bit more, definitely more iterative than that. Although I had read, because I wasn't going to take on the job because it's quite a lot, you know, when you, mm. you've got business and you're trying to do that part-time and, you know, so for me, I really wanted to think it through and, and, uh, and I've, I, I'm annoyed myself, but I saw Sir Clive Woodward at an event once mm. and, I, and I, I didn't go and speak to him, but he's probably the reason why I took the job because I'd read winning and I woke up at two o'clock in the morning 
and started planning everything, you know, writing out everything, yeah, yeah. some of the kind of roadmap, if you like. And, uh, and then I called the, um, the team manager and said, yeah, I'll, I'll take the job. Uh, so I owe a lot to, to Clive Woodward because I, I thought that some of the things he talked about really resonate with me. So I'd had some sort of plan, but the plan got kind of torn up because I, I was met with so much resistance from yeah. the players initially that I had to really th- rethink my, my approach. Mm. And a uh, big part of that was this ask, don't tell, rather than me thinking I had to have all the answers. Yeah. And putting that pressure on myself. And it was so empowering to kind of just throw it out there and say, how, how do we do this? Yeah. And I think that, you know, when you're coaching, like, you know, the kind of coaching I do, which is mostly one-to-one is that I don't come up with the answers. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, people, you know, you could say that to your clients to begin with, look, I don't have the answers and they'll sit there and they'll be like, shit, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> what yeah. am I doing here? But, you yeah, know, yeah. But it takes no- a bit of time to be to learn to be coached like that. Cause you do yes. get the, the rabbit in the headlights. Sometimes I, especially when rookies came in mm. and I would say to them, what do you think we need to do right here now? Yeah. And then they'd be looking at me going, but you're the coach, you know, yeah. I, I'm just my first year on the team, you know? And I'm like, no, let's have a guess, yeah. try it. You know, let's, let's do that. Um, so I think there's le- learning to be coached that way. And then for the coach, the head coach is the biggest challenge is patience. Yeah. Because you know, it, it requires a lot of patience. And if you think you're patient, just 10 X that patience. Yeah. You'll be close to, getting there yeah i can imagine i can i'm not the most patient person um i'm great with my one-to-one stuff but i don't think i would want to coach uh, an athletic team in that way at all so i'll take my hat off to you for that because yeah challenge it's an absolute challenge trust me (laughs) so what's um i'm I'm conscious of time and i don't want to keep you any longer than i promised although i already have um what's sum up for me you know we talk about winning mindset a lot you know I, I and you know I'm I'm not necessarily a performance coach I'm a life coach and I help athletes and high achievers deal with life as a whole mm-hmm. them as a human being before their business before their their right. sport or whatever that that's more my my thing but you do talk about winning mindset is that what you've just summed up for us before or is there another aspect to it what what does it take to have a winning mindset and to, you know, to be a high achiever, to be a, an elite athlete. Yeah, I, it's a really good question because I think I'm probably more towards where your focus is when I talk about winning mindset. Mm. You know, it's not about being bold, ruthless, getting your elbows up, racing to the front. Mm. Uh, I think it's about, it's more selfless than that. I think it's being open to change. It's about managing risk. Mm. and and those three areas that i talked about clarity of purpose i'm here to serve mm. clarity of self staying in your lane I, I put a post out today play to your strengths the best athletes i've seen play to their strengths they don't deviate from that mm. there's a small percentage in the top who are able just got the ronaldo's of the world you know they've just got that different yeah you know, messy whatever whoever you want to Connor mcdavid in hockey but the majority of professional athletes, they just follow the process. They, they do it really, really well. They know what they're, what they're gifted to do. Mm. And they found their lane. And I think that's the same in all walks of life. You know, with either CEO or in, into humanitarian work, you know what you bring yeah. to the game and, 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 and stick. So, so, yeah, so I think there's, there's definitely something in that. I think... I think the final thing for me is, is 
the ability to focus on the positive rather than the negative to to not get wound up about things that are outside of your control and just focus mm-hmm. on what you can influence for me really do connect with what a winning mindset is and you could argue that maybe that's you know aligned with some of the carol dweck's work on on mindset and growth mindset mm. but for me that's that's the difference is that ability to focus on in the moment as well under pressure again clarity under pressure mm. you got to focus on what can i influence right now that's going to help us get the result rather than worrying about what's out of our control mm. and, and getting too focused on that controlling the controllables exactly yeah great yeah. book by the way carol dweck mindset yeah absolutely uh, a really really good book so yeah anyone listening to that you need to go get that book it is a great book andrew thank you so much i really really appreciate it i pleasure. would like to talk to you more actually. i want to know i want to know more about your life and what's going on in prague and part two uh, yeah part two part two <laughs> we need to do it again is uh what's so what have you written anything recently uh, have you got a new book uh, my most recent book is The Four Keys, which was published right. in, in 2019. Uh, mm. So that's How to Win in Your Business, Body, Relationships and Mindset. And yeah, um, uh, yeah you, I mean, if you if people go to andrewsilito.com, as yeah. kind of a starting point. You can kind of navigate where you want to go from there, whether it's to my blog or my podcast, you know, mm. it's uh, you can start there. Yeah, and I, I've checked all of that, obviously. I'd certainly recommend everyone else does. Great podcast. Uh, by the way I love your website really slick really slick thank you you're very welcome thank you for giving up some of your time today to talk to us really interesting um, to speak to the first pro inline hockey player I I, I forget the title but it's the first first British 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 player yeah you go that's it first I missed out the word British yeah but it's really interesting and to see that journey that it took you along so I really appreciate you you coming and sharing that with us today thank you so much Andrew pleasure thank you Sam You're welcome. Thank you. You've been listening to the Real Life Sports Show. I hope you found some value and joy in this podcast. If you have, then please tell someone else about it. And also, while you're at it, why not leave me a five-star review? Also, you can share it on your socials. You'll find me mostly on Instagram at samadamscoach. You can also check me out at my website, sam-adams.com. Send any comments or any interest in coaching or speaking to my Instagram. Just drop me a DM. I look at all my messages and I respond to every single one of them.